For the rest of us, let's turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It only took us about eight weeks to get out of chapter 3. And so uh, now we're in chapter 4. And I'm looking forward to that. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 tonight. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Before I turn there, let me mention I was uh, preaching in Jacksonville, um, North Carolina, and enjoyed that. Uh, Pastor John McConkie has been there about 10 or 11 years, and they're needing to build. They have a crowded building, a great crowd of um, a lot of young Marines are in his church. It's right there next to a Marine base. Uh, a lot of young couples. He's doing a great job. And then I, on Monday, was able to, actually Sunday night after the evening service, I drove about an hour and a half. My sister and her husband live in Greenville, North Carolina, so we got to spend the night there. And then Monday night, we spent till about three in the morning there and then left three in the morning to go two hours to catch a, a flight out in Raleigh-Durham. So it was a long day for us, but an enjoyable time getting to preach and be with a pastor and, and then spend a day with my uh, sister and her husband. They're wonderful people. He serves in a church uh, close by, uh, leading the music, and, and they're a blessing, good and godly people. First John chapter 4, I trust you found that. If you found that, let's stand for uh, the reading of God's Word, if you don't mind, if you're able to stand. The Bible says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard, that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and you may be seated afterwards. Father, speak to our hearts from your word and by your spirit. And let us be profited from the word of God tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So this is entitled, Try the Spirits. Try the Spirits. And of course, John has been speaking uh, twofold in the book of John. First, he's trying to correct error, particularly that of the Gnostics. And then secondly, he is trying to show everyone uh, that Jesus Christ is their Savior and convince them to put complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So he's saying, in essence, in the book of John, that if you're saved, he wants you to know that. And that's a good thing to know, amen? You ought to know that you're saved. I hear people uh, that that say, well, I, I I, I hope I'm going to heaven. Well, hope is a good thing to have, but when it comes to the fact that you die and you go to heaven or hell, you want it more than hope. And especially the fact that it's for eternity in both ways. So you don't want to hope you go to heaven. You want to know that you go to heaven. And what a blessing that is. And I've uh, always challenged people to know that they know that they have indeed trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So in this passage, I want to uh, spend a little bit of time on verse 1, a little bit more time, and then we'll go and look at verse 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. We look at the subject of trying the Spirit, and the Bible says in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
First of all, in that passage, we see the need for discernment. The need for discernment. It says, believe not every spirit. You've got to be able to decide, is that of God? Is it not of God? Now, discernment is, is not earthly wisdom. It's not you uh, saying, well, I've studied the Bible, and what I believe is that this is right and that this is wrong. Well, certainly you ought to study the Bible. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. But we're talking about discernment is something that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it is not just the gift of discernment that people will talk about in the gifts of the Spirit and the Word of God speaks of in the Word of Spirit. There are those who have a special gift of discernment. But every Christian who knows the truth is going to have the witness of the Holy Spirit, what is right and what is wrong. And especially the Holy Spirit is going to use the unit of measurement to measure that which is truthful and that which is deceptive by the Word of God. You're going to be able to use God's Word because anything that's true is going to line up with God's Word. Anything that is in error is going to run contrary to the Word of God. And though it may only run contrary in just a few areas, if it runs contrary in any area, it is not true. Uh, Because we have the Word of God and it all line up perfectly. Uh, Someone said, well, um, you know, I believe I I got it uh, right, but I might be wrong in some areas. Well, certainly there's areas that are non-essential, but uh, have nothing to do with salvation. But when it comes especially to the doctrinal truths of the Word of God, you want to make sure it lines up with what the Word of God says. Um, you wouldn't want someone to give you medicine and you say, is it pretty good medicine? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's okay. A portion of it is poison, but uh, we try to dilute it enough that it shouldn't kill you outright. And you look at them like, you're kidding me. Well, no, uh, but most of it is good stuff. There's only a few drops of poison in there, uh, but most of it's good. How many of us would want to take it? We'd say, no, I'm not going to take it if it has one drop of poison in it. And yet, many people are taking the word of God, and it's given by false prophets. And in this passage, we're going to find that they were prevalent then, and they are just as prevalent now. So the need for discernment, believe not every spirit. So you ought to have your spiritual antennas up anytime you are around a Bible teacher, Bible preacher, and they ought to line up with the Word of God. One of the most important decisions you'll ever make spiritually after you become a believer is who you choose to listen to when it comes to spiritual things. Uh, Some people would say, well, I'd never listen to this news program. I only listen to this news program. Well, that might uh, make some important decisions as it relates to your life, but it has nothing to do with eternal decisions. You know, that's not one of the questions you get before you enter heaven. What do you watch on TV? You know, it, it doesn't happen that way. But who you listen to as it relates to the Word of God and spiritual decisions, that does matter. And so that's why one of the most important decisions is who you listen and who you choose to follow. That's, what, that's why it's not a quick, a quick decision. Uh, and you'll let the Spirit of God lead you and guide you in that. So we see, first of all, the need for discernment. Secondly, the need for dissection. Try the spirits. And that word try the spirits means sort of uh, pick apart what they're saying. Pick apart the spirits. Now, it's not talking about the spirit, but it's obvious. It's, ta- it's referring to the fact that there is uh, two spirits. There's the spirit of truth that comes from the Holy Spirit, and there's the spirit of Antichrist that comes from the devil, the flesh, and the world. So uh, there are different spirits 
There's only one that's true, and that's that which comes from God, the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to try that and uh, figure out what's right, what's wrong. Now, here's some verses that will help us in that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So what, what's it, slicing, dicing? Uh, it's not a ginseng, ginsu knife, you know, that's selling for $9.99. It, it's sharp, it's powerful. What is it cutting? It's cutting truth from error, soul from spirit, joint from marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You use the word of God. God says what he means and means what he says. So we take the word of God at face value. The word of God is inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, and it's preserved for all generations. Forever, Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us use the word of God. Acts chapter 17 verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scripture daily, scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now these were the Christians at Berea, remember? Uh, Paul and Silas were were um, railroaded out of Thessalonica and so they went to Berea and there the people listened to them and searched the scriptures whether those things were so. So uh, I've said many times, uh, if the Bible says one thing and the preacher says another, the Bible is right and the preacher's wrong. And don't believe what a preacher says just because he says it, myself included. You take it with the word of God. So not only let him share the point, but let him back it up with scripture. And uh, I have problems with teachers that want to read between the lines and tell you what it says between the lines, but it's not in black and white. I want the truth to be in the lines, in the words. Uh, the word of God is pure, and we want to make sure the, that uh, we are believing what the word of God actually says, not by implication, but by direct uh, revelation. It is written in the word of God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so if you want to know what the truth is, you compare spiritual things with spiritual uh, if we want to know the truth of what it's saying in one passage of Scripture, we compare it with all the other passages of Scripture. We never take one Scripture out of context as a proof text of what, what truth is. It has to blend with everything that's stated in the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is not going to say one thing in this case and another thing in that case, uh, the Word of God is of no private interpretation. What it says to one, it says to all. And the Word of God is consistent. There's unity throughout the Scripture. So if you have a passage that doesn't look like that it uh, is the same, uh, that is not your proof text. And so don't make a doctrine out of something that uh, says, it, says this or says that. For instance, some will say, he that believeth and is baptized is saved. Well, does the Bible say that? Yes, it does. And they'll say, well, that's plainly saying you've got to believe and be baptized or you can't be saved. Well, in John 3.16, it says, uh, whosoever believeth uh, shall be saved, you know. And it doesn't mention anything about baptism. They'll say, yeah, but in the other place, it does say baptism. 
will say yes, but salvation is so essential. When it comes to salvation, it's so important that every time salvation is mentioned, they're going to put in what's essential. What's essential? Faith. What's essential? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that? That's faith. So faith is essential. That's like saying you ought to be saved and you ought to go to church. Well, that's true. Both statements are true. But uh, being saved is not equivalent to going to church. Church is a wonderful place to be, but you don't automatically go to heaven because you go to church. But if you trust Christ as your Savior, you automatically go to heaven if you never go to church, the thief on the cross never showed up at a service. But that this day, he was seen in paradise. So there needs to be a need for discernment. There's a need for dissection. Try the spirits. Thirdly, there's a need for deity. A need for deity, whether they are of God. So all truth, it comes from the source of truth, and it comes from God. So if you want to be authoritative about what is true, you've got to have a source that comes from God. There again, it goes back to the Word of God, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the Word of God is the source, and God is the source. So there's got to be deity, whether they are of God. It's a must. Well, Professor so-and-so says, well, that's wonderful, but he didn't create the heavens and the earth. Well, Pastor so-and-so says, well, that's a great thing. He might be a nice guy, but he's not the creator. He's not the savior. He's not God. So God must be the source of that which is true. And as long as the preacher preaches, thus saith the Lord, he's on good ground. And any Bible teacher that says, this is what God's word says, and he reads it, and it's just plainly seen, then you're on good ground as a Sunday school teacher, or a Bible teacher, or a ladies' Bible teacher, or one Christian sharing with another Christian. As long as you're quoting some scripture and showing it comes from the word of God, you're on solid ground. But it's got to be based on the truth of God that is revealed in his word. Acts chapter 5 verse 39 says, But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And so even in that passage, someone who, uh, this was not, this was the leader of the Jews that said that, and they wanted to persecute Uh, The Christians and his idea, his recommendation was leave it alone. Don't attack these Christians. He said, if it's of God, you can't overthrow it. If it's not of God, it's not going to last. Well, 2,000 years later, it's lasted pretty good. So that shows when it's of God, it will last. So the need for deity. Fourthly, we see the need of awareness of deceivers. Or that's false prophets. It says some are false uh, prophets. So that passage says, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So some are false prophets. Let me suggest two different reasons why there's false prophets. Some are false prophets because of ignorance. Because of ignorance. Someone just misinterprets a passage or misunderstands a teaching and and continues to propagate it. Jude chapter 1 verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. So a person could uh, not know the passage very well. And because of that... Uh, they have a false teaching. Some could be out of ignorance. I would suggest that very, very few false teachers are false teachers out of ignorance. Because if indeed they have a heart for God, God will correct them and God will teach them truth if they have a heart for God. That will, that will happen. 
God will not leave his children in ignorance if they have a sincere heart. Uh, When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into how much truth? The word is all truth. He will guide you into all truth. So uh, there may be those who are ignorant because they've not been able to read the Word of God. I've, I've pastored people over the years, not as much in the last probably 20 years, but I've pastored people who couldn't read as adults. And uh, I'd say, would you read that verse? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't like to read in public. Well, later they'd say, Pastor, I, I can't read. So... Um, Because of that, it'd be hard for someone to know authoritatively what the Word of God said. They would know what they've heard, but they haven't understood what they've read, right? And and you understand that that is still how most of the people in the world hear the Bible because they don't own a copy. So that's why they have to try the spirits because they don't have a copy. They can't compare what someone said with the Bible because they don't own a copy. That's why we, every month, send out to a local uh, church publisher that sends tens of thousands, millions of Bibles out free. I mean, we pay for it and churches like ours pay for it, but they have whole um, uh, cargo containers full of scriptures in all different languages because people don't have the Word of God. And they haven't owned one. And they haven't touched one. They haven't read one. They haven't seen one in their language. Some are false uh, teachers because of ignorance. Very, very few, I suggest, would be in that. Others are false witness because of intentions. Intentions. They are false teachers and they are knowingly false teachers. And let me suggest two reasons that would happen. First of all, because it appeals to their fleshly wisdom. It appeals to their fleshly wisdom to teach something that no one else teaches. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that is the simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. But by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. In other words, there is a certain appeal Uh, to look intellectual and appeal to men's fleshly wisdom. And it appeals to the leader of false doctrine that he has a connection that you and I do not have. And of course, remember, John is writing about Gnostics here and correcting error. And that is one of the that's one of their biggest errors is they believed they had secret knowledge that gave them a special connection to the divine, not, not to God through Christ, but just to the divine spirit of everything. And here the apostle uh, John is saying, uh, no, you got to beware of those deceivers because there's false prophets in the world. It appeals to their fleshly wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He's telling you things that he has not seen, that he does not know but it's puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now, I want to say that before we get through these six verses, not only are we going to see that John is warning us of false teachers in his day, 
But in every generation of Christianity, we have had to try the spirits to see whether they are of God or not, because there's false prophets, there's false teachers, false preachers, false spiritual teachers of God's word. So I said, first of all, it some do it out of ignorance, a small amount perhaps. Others are false because of intentions. And I said, first of all, it appeals to their fleshly wisdom. But secondly, and even more corrupt, is it appeals to their fleshly appetites. In other words, there's false teachers that use their false teaching to hold a power over their following or create a following of which they have power over. You ever hear about sharing the Kool-Aid in Guyana? False teacher shared poison Kool-Aid. And yet, they were so committed to his false teaching, they took it. They took it. Now, what was the source of that? How did that gain the cause of Christ? It didn't. But when they start looking into the life of Jim Jones, they found out he was not even a godly man. And yet he, expo- he, he pretends to be a spiritual leader. He was not even a godly man. I could name other religions. Joseph Smith with 48 wives. Others pretending to be righteous. You wouldn't even want to know about the history. It's very corrupt. Very immoral. And yet, spiritual leaders that many, many, many people follow. Let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul's warning the same thing. This know also that in the, excuse me, in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, Well, oh, that's the world, right? Well, wait a minute. Next verse. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This is a religious crowd. This is not just the world that has nothing to do with, you know, spirituality or religion. No, these are people who are in the religious circles that don't believe the truth. And it appeals to fleshly appetites to teach false doctrine. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust ever learning and never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now, let me say that this right here is a picture of false prophets or false spiritual preachers, teachers, leaders. I hate to call them preachers because they, they, they corrupt the very name to be used as a preacher, a man of God. But Whenever someone embraces false doctrine, it's for a worldly reason. If you're embracing false doctrine as a spiritual leader, I know I'm preaching to the choir. 
Uh, but I'm saying when one embraces false doctrine, he is embracing doctrines that come from the prince and the power of the prince and power of this world, the devil. So you do not embrace his thinking without having everything he is affect every grain of your body. So not only do you have fleshly reasoning, you have fleshly appetites that you're using false doctrine to feed and prey upon weak-minded people or people who've already decided they agree what you believe already. Have you ever thought, if, if, if there's churches and they do not believe the word of God's true, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, they do not believe he's the only Savior of the world, they do not believe in a literal heaven or hell, have you ever thought, why do they even meet as a church? What's the, what's the, what's the deal? What, how, do you, how do you gather people when you admit you don't believe this? Because there's people who already believe those things. And they just gather like-minded people for worldly reasons. And this is exactly what John is uh, warning about way back when. And every generation of Christians need to take heed. And especially in these last days... Perilous times shall come. Now, it's always been perilous. This world has never been a friend of Christ. But folks, it's getting worse. And you know it. And the Bible says before the last days, things will wax worse and worse. And the word wax means to grow worse and worse. And it gets more intense and, and more vile and more vile and more vile. Oh, you can't hardly even watch a a commercial on television anymore. It's just so vile. So many things they're promoting that are so anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And yet, we, you know, well, it's just the way it is. Well, we ought to be looking up because our redemption draweth nigh. So I say that... Uh, the need awareness of deceivers, false prophets, some because of ignorance, some because of uh, false intentions, appeals to their fleshly wisdom, appeals to their fleshly appetites. And let me read now what uh, one um, theologian said, or commentator, I should say. Do not confide implicitly in everyone who professes to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The true and false teachers of religion alike claim to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And it was of importance that all such pretensions should be examined. And that's what he's saying. Examine. Uh, Try those things. See whether or not they're from God. It was not to be admitted because anyone claimed to have been sent from God that therefore he was sent from God. Every such claim should be subjected to the proper proof before it was conceded. All pretensions to divine inspiration or to be authorized teachers of religion. And, and by the way, uh, commentators uh, 50, 75 years ago, instead of saying Christianity, they would say religion, but they did not mean it as, you know, a system of works. They just meant of Christianity were to be examined by the proper test because there were many false and delusive, uh, delusive teachers who set up such claims in the world. He addresses this claim to Christians in general. He refers to the ability of doing this by a comparison of the doctrines which they profess to hold with what was revealed and by the fruit of their doctrine in their lives. So in other words... You test them by what they say, how it lines up with this book, and then you test them, does their life line up with what they say? See, it's not enough just to tell the truth. You've got to live it. You've got to live the truth. 
or your life negates what you say. That's why the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, let me add on an addendum here. There is no perfect pastor or preacher or evangelist or missionary. They, they have flesh just like you. But at the same time, uh, they, they, ought to, they ought to be to the very best of their ability following the word of God with their uh, mind of preaching the word of God, but also by their life. You can't be preaching the, uh, the word of God and then uh, be out in the lobby yelling to your wife. You've got to go home to do. No, I mean, you can't be doing that. I, I, I can't be at odds with my wife and be right with God. I can't be doing that. Uh, now, I, you know, I'd have to just, if, if that was to happen, I'd get out of the ministry. I'd be a layman. You, if you're a layman, you can do that. You can, you can go home and have a fight with your wife. You know, we still have disagreements, but I've got to act Christian. Because God's called me to be a, a special. And he's called me to share the word of God and to pastor and to preach and uh, preach his word. So uh, you've got to live what you preach. And, and I know nobody's, you know, up, I understand that. But uh, by the same token, my wife will honestly be able to tell you that her husband, to the best of his ability, tries to live for Jesus Christ. And I know that because I've been in meetings where someone asked her to say something about being a preacher's wife. She says, I, I think I'm married to the best Christian in the whole... And I'm thinking, who is she married to? I thought it was me. <laughs> Who is she? I said, why did you, why are you saying that? She said, I believe it. Now, I, and certainly she knows me enough to know I'm not a perfect Christian. But I will tell you this, as a pastor or as someone who's been a pastor or someone who's the assistant pastor, uh, you strive not only to be truthful when you preach God's word, but you want your life to reflect the truth of God's word. Because you are to be an example. Remember, uh, Paul told Timothy, be thou an example of the believer in word, in truth, in conversation, in charity. And, and, and folks, that's, that just has to happen. Uh, many years ago, uh, I graduated Bible college. I became a pastor. My brother graduated Bible college same year. He was held back in third grade because he had ear infections. And ever since then, we've been in the same grade. Although he's a year older than I am. Uh, he became a pastor. When my father became 54, he became a pastor. I preached his ordination and my brother helped in the ordination process as well as other pastors. Now, my, pa my brother married a young lady he met at Bible College. And uh, I was there visiting with him one time. And he, she's calling the teenagers crude names. And one day my brother said to me... Uh, you know, my wife just isn't, uh, for whatever reason, she's not, she's not being a good example. I, I, I don't know what to do. And I told him, I said, Phil, I, if I was you, I'd get out of the ministry and I'd be a good layman. That's what I would do. If I didn't think I, my wife would follow my life and my ministry... I, I would just be a good layman, maybe teach Sunday school. I, I wouldn't, you know, I could do that. But to be a pastor, you've you got to guide your family. If you can't guide your family, how can you take care of the house of God? So I, I, that's what I suggested. Well, it was about uh, six weeks later, 
his wife left my brother, and so he had to get out of the ministry and, and went back to a high school boyfriend. So I'm just saying tragic things happen to pastors too. I would still serve God if something like that would happen to me, but I wouldn't hold the office of a pastor because the Bible says one of the requirements is you have to be blameless. You can't be lying. You can't be stealing. You can't be cursing. I hear every once in a while someone said a pastor cursed behind the pulpit. I never have purposely. I have one time tried to say two words and changed it in the middle and it didn't. It was like, oh boy, I didn't say that. Uh, And there are certain kind of trees in the Bible I won't pronounce correctly. Uh, I'm just saying, I don't want to say bad words. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be improper behind a pulpit or in private. In a pastor, I should live like I live at church, the same way I live at home, the same way I live on vacation, the same way you have to be consistently Christian. Not just that you place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have to be an example of the believer's. And so let me say that the Apostle John is sharing that. And it goes on. I want to share this. If they taught what God had taught in his word, and if their lives corresponded with his requirements, and if their doctrine agreed with what he had been uh, taught by those who were admitted to be true uh, apostles, they were to receive them as what was professed. So if, if they taught the same thing as John taught and the apostles taught, if they lived the way the word of God gives requirements for spiritual leaders to live, then you can accept them as a spiritual teacher or a spiritual leader. But if their life does not line up with the requirements of someone is to be a pastor or evangelist or a deacon or this or that, then, then you, you can't follow that spiritual teaching. It must be remarked that it is just as proper and as important now to examine the claims of all who profess to be teachers of religion as it was then. So much is at stake. You're, you're talking about people's spiritual uh, teaching. Now, hopefully, that's one reason why I like putting Bible verses up on the screen rather than just turning. We we would spend all day trying to turn all the verses I like to use. But I at least want to show you I got that from the Word of God. That's where it comes from. And you need to see that. That's all in verse 1. Okay. (laughs) Our time's already gone. I was hoping to go through all these six verses But let me give you that foundation of the verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to get through verses 2 through 6 or attempt to next time. But it's so important that we try the spirits and and understand what he's saying here. He's saying, beloved, believe not every spirit because there's... There are spirits that are conflicting. You have the Holy Spirit and every other spirit. Whether they are of God, it has to be. The foundation of that truth has to come from God. It doesn't come from a man's made-up belief. I think any time a Christian has preferences, that's fine. As long as you let people know their preferences. I've known people say, well, I wouldn't have a Christmas tree because that's, you know, idolatrous. And I'm thinking, well, if I ever start bowing down to them, I'm going to get rid of it. And then I noticed I was pouring water underneath it and I was bowing down. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should get rid of it. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't worshiping the tree. And, uh, you know, some people thought because we had princesses, you know, on our um, trunk or treat that we're worshiping the devil and highlighting the devil on Halloween and whatever. I said, no, we're just stuffing kids with candy. 
and uh, trying to be a blessing and show the love of Christ to a world that needs Jesus. And uh, so don't take someone's opinion as doctrine. Show me the verse. You show me the verse, then, okay, we got to go by what the scriptures say. Um, But then also, show me the life. So show me the text. Where did it come from? And then show me the life. Now, I'm going to make sure that text goes with all the scripture, right? I'm not going to take a proof text to determine what I believe. But I'm also not going to take a truth from someone who does not live a godly life. And I don't mean that all the standards I have, they have to have. I don't believe that. But, I mean, they, they can't be living in immorality and, and be my Sunday school teacher. It, it, it isn't going to work that way. You've you got to have a godly life. And by the way, one of the things I love here is we have godly people that put on, that minister at our church and teach and sing in the choir and sing a special. I could care less how good their voice is. I want to know how good their life is. Now, if they have a good godly life, then I want to hear what they can sing. And you see, and I'm not holding everybody up perfection. And, you know, if you've had bad things happen in your life, I understand that. Disappointments, a lot of people do. But... Um, Let's live what we preach. Let's live what we teach. And, and let's be very careful. And you and I are living in a day where, where it's very, very easy to listen to false prophets because we have the Internet. And you can hear what they teach, but you can't watch their life. And that's why people were supposed to join a church where you had a pastor. It says, whose faith follow. Obey them that have the rule over you, whose faith follow. Don't follow everything they do, but if they're living the faith, follow that. Okay. Well, our time is gone, and we are finished with verse 1. And uh, I don't know if this is interesting to you, but I, I love uh, the truth of God's Word, and I want to Share it enough that I get it as clear as I know how to get it. I know I could have brushed over verse 1 very quickly, but I wanted us to see that uh, these trying of the spirits is not just something that was supposed to happen 2,000 years ago. From now to the rest of your life, till Jesus comes, that's something you and I as believers are going to have to do. Even as a pastor... I know godly pastors, and some I would say I'm not. I'm not going that direction. I, I don't doubt his faith. I don't doubt his sincerity. I, I, but I'm just not going that direction because it's it's it it is moving from traditional Orthodox Christianity. It's different. Okay, so. Um, I'll just say one more thing, and then I'll get myself in a deep hole. Okay, just one more thing. One of the reasons why I would not have our church, and of course, now it's Pastor Layman's, but I I know his heart. One of the reasons I'm not interested in a contemporary church is because they haven't seen the fruit. Do you know it takes 20 or more years to see the fruit of a ministry? And you see the fruit in, in the young people. Are they living for the world or are they living for Christ? Can you see a visible difference? Can you listen to an attitude difference? Can you see Christ in them, the hope of glory? Now, I'm not saying we have the best teenagers in the world, but let me just say we have some wonderful, godly teenagers in our church and in our school. And I praise God for that. 
But that's one of the tests of true doctrine is how do the teenagers turn out? We've sent over 200 or 200 of our kids have gone off to Bible college. That doesn't mean they're all serving God or all in ministry. But I'm saying they went through the teenage ministry and they, they had a hunger for God or you don't go to Bible college. You don't go just because of peer pressure. It's got to be your choice. So the thing I like about a traditional church is church has been traditional for hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds of years. And it turned out us. Those were churches you and I got saved in. I don't think you had a contemporary church 50 years ago that you got saved in, or 40 years ago. But in traditional churches, they're preaching the Word of God, and they're still preaching godly living. Their standards may all be all different, but they believe that by living a godly life, they're reflecting Jesus Christ to a lost world. And I believe that's vitally, vitally important for all of us. Now, let's have a word of prayer. (laughs) Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, dear Father, you'll always help us be founded on the word of God and not believe something just because a spiritual leader says it. But let it be backed up with the word of God. And Lord, I know I close with just sharing my opinions. And I hope that came across that that is just my opinions. But Lord, your word helps us embrace doctrine, proper doctrine, and proper living. And Lord, help us always follow spiritual leaders. And Lord, I'm so thankful for Pastor Layman. Not only is he doctrinally sound, but he lives a godly life. And he's raising a godly home and has a godly marriage and leads with love in his household. And I I thank you for that. And I pray that we'll raise up a generation of people who love the word of God and try to live their life based on the word of God and try to make their life a living letter for the cause of Christ that others can read. And Lord, help us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not having the invitation. We are just dismissed. God bless you. (laughs) 